We've been in a, in a series on uh, the Lord's Supper, and we're going to open up His Word now, and we're going to consider it. So let me pray for us. Our great God, as we now turn to your word, these moments that we have together to study it, we ask that you would come in all your presence and power, and that we would be different, and that we would leave knowing surely God was among us. We ask these things. Because of the work of Christ and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Well, my wife Pam has started a new culinary endeavor this week, scones. And if you know anything about Pam, you will know that that is good news because Pam is a good cook. And if we weren't in church, I might use an expletive even in there. She is a good cook. And so Pam started off with plain scones on Monday, and they were really, really mouth-watering. But that was just the trial run. I was waiting for Friday, when Friday we would get ham and gruyere. Yes. And so Friday morning, there I am. I'm sitting there with my freshly roasted Stumptown coffee, I have my soft scrambled eggs, and I have this ham and greer scone that gets placed on my plate. I could not wait. Uh, and what, literally, I could not wait. As soon as the thing hit my plate, I had it in my mouth. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm eating, I've got half a scone in my mouth, and all of a sudden, my daughter, Neve, who's four, looks up and she says, uh, oh, we... We had got to say, thank you, God. Got to say, thank you, God. And I'm sitting there going, mm, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that's right, Neve. We forgot to say, thank you, God. You know, at that point, I'm kind of like, I can't really say thank you, God. So I'm like, you know, asking her to. Uh, Thanksgiving before meals. Why do we do that? I was in college, I went to a Christian college, a very small Christian college for a lot of the time, and, and in the cafeteria before people would eat, it was always an ordeal because we would sit down and, and there was always kind of a, a time when everybody sat down awkwardly and, and then you always had to, to pray. And you would pray before the meals and a lot of people made kind of a, a show of it and because of that I just decided I am not going to pray before my meals. I mean, I kind of thought it's legalistic and what's the point anyway? I mean, why pray before a meal? We've been in a series on the Lord's Supper, and we've been looking at the Lord's Supper through a lens of various terms that are used uh, that are associated with the Lord's Supper. We spent two weeks looking at the term communion, and how the Lord's Supper is a communion with God and with one another. Uh, But now I'm going to look at another term this week, a term that is... um, very closely associated with this meal. It's the term Eucharist. Eucharist. It comes from the Greek word Eucharisto, and it's used twice in that passage that was read earlier. We normally translate it, give thanks. In verse 17, we read of Luke chapter 22, and he took the cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. It happens again in verse 19. Verse 19, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Jesus stopped and he gave thanks, not once, but twice. Why did he give thanks before this meal? Psychologists have done a lot of research lately, and they have started uncovering the benefits of gratitude. There was a 2011 New York Times article, and in that article, uh, they reported on some of the findings that psychologists had uncovered. Uh, gratitude is now linked to feelings of uh, better, he- or better health, sounder sleep, less anxiety and depression, uh, higher long-term satisfaction with life, and kinder behavior towards others, including romantic partners. Now, one doctor from the University of Miami uh, said that um, gratitude is the emotion of friendship. Uh, Gratitude, we know that it's beneficial. I mean, even at exercises classes that you go to, at the end, they will make a point to, to talk about how we need to be grateful. I've noticed that recently. Gratitude is important, but Christians have been emphasizing that for a long time, actually since the beginning. And the passage that was read, the first passage that was read from 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is addressing some misconceptions about Christianity, common misconceptions that people have outside the church and that people have inside the church. And the misconception is that Christianity is really... Well, it's not about enjoyment of creation. That Christianity kind of sees the creation as, um, uh, and the goodness of creation as something that is marginal. That that Christians, they're kind of prudish. Uh, They're not for sex. That Christians, um, don't know how to enjoy themselves. They they are kind of ascetic. And uh, Paul, in this text, he He calls that kind of teaching what it is. He says it's from demons. And then he counters the teaching by by addressing these people who forbid marriage, you know, marriage, sex, bad stuff, and require abstinence from certain foods because, you know, that's not good either. We should be about spiritual things. And he counters that by returning them to creation. Verse 3, he says that they, they require absence from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. That God created to be received with thanksgiving. That, that is that God created food for a purpose, an intention, that we might give thanks. You know, it's interesting, food. We need food to live. We have to take it into our bodies to ingest it. It has to become uh, one with us. We metastasize it, and then it comes out in in energy and all sorts of things. Food. We need food to live. We are needy people. And God created us needy people. 
But God also does something else when he creates us as needy people. He provides the world as a banquet for us. That's what Genesis 1 says. After it says that God created Adam and Eve, Genesis 1.29, God says, Behold, behold, look, I have given you every plant and every tree. You shall have them for food. Every plant and every tree you shall have for food. That God gives humans food. And not just food, he gives them good food. Behold, Look at verse 4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it was received with thanksgiving. Oh, there's that, there's that statement again. Two times in two verses, Paul says that food is to be received with thanksgiving. You know, we're not the only ones that are needy in the world. God has other creatures that are needy. Other creatures need food. But you know what's unique about humans? We're the only ones who can receive that gift and return it to God in thanksgiving, in worship, in adoration. We're the only ones who are able to worship like that. That's that's why when Old Testament scholars look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and when Jews, ancient Jews, look look at those, those texts, they said, Adam, well, he was a priest, who would bring creation before God in praise. And that makes sense, right? Because we need food, and food gives us life. And so it makes sense that we would thank God for food because food gives us life. But does it? I mean, does it really give us life? Now, a lot of people die from food. Food allergies. Overeating. In the Bible, it does say that man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by food alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That that humans, they were created needy, but they, they need food, but they don't need food. They need something more than food. That maybe it's not the food, it's actually God. Communion with God, conversation with God, relationship with God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So in the Bible, it's not simply that God gives food. He's not just the one who gives the food. He is the food that we need deep within us to live. You know, it's interesting how Paul goes on in verses 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it was received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word, by prayer. Well, that's interesting, that the food is made holy, that the food is set apart for the presence of God, that it's set apart for the purpose of worship. You know, that is what it means to be holy. It is to be set apart for the presence of God and for worship, that the food, it's set apart for the presence of God, for the purpose of God. So so maybe food is, is actually not where we get life from. Maybe food is a vehicle, a means a window, a window to God, a window to relationship with God, a means to relationship with God and to communion with God, that God made us needy and then God gives us all this good food that we might take it and respond in worship with him and that through the food we might get what we really need to live, relationship with him. 
the church father, Augustine, he used to make this distinction between use and enjoyment. And, and Augustine, he said that, that while the creation was to be used, it was never to be enjoyed. That God was to be enjoyed, but the creation was not to be enjoyed. Now, you can misunderstand Augustine. Augustine is not against creation. In fact, he is famous for loving the sea. Augustine said, I don't ever want to live anywhere apart from the sea. He grew up in a place that was very close to the sea in North Africa. So it's not that. Then what was he saying? Well, see, you have to understand that for Augustine, to enjoy something is to love it for its own sake, to love it as an end. But to use something doesn't mean to exploit something. It means that it is a means to something greater. And only God is to be loved as an end. Only God is to be loved for his own sake. That everything else, everything else in all creation that's been given is to be a means to loving and enjoying God. So it seems that Augustine would agree that food is a means a vehicle, a window to communion with God. But not just food. You know, Augustine would say he would want to go further. He would say everything, everything that God created is for that purpose, whether marriage or mountains, sugar or sex, that everything is to be that which is used to lead us into communion with God. Well, maybe he's on to something because... Did you notice that Paul, he says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. See, we're not talking about food anymore. We're talking about everything, of which food is simply a part. That, that everything that we are given is to be turned into a communion with God, a relationship with Him. How? Thanksgiving. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanks. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 145, 10, all your works shall give you thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. When I was a, a child... I always thought it was fascinating when there was a, a Mother's Day or a Father's Day or my parents had a birthday because we would go through this ritual in my family and that is this, that I would receive money because I didn't have any money. I had no way to get money. So my parents would give me money and then I would go out with my mom to buy dad a present for Father's Day. And it never dawned on me how curious this is until I thought, you know, I, I, I bought the present and I'd come to my dad and I'd give the present to him and I'd give this gift and I thought, wait, um, it's his money that actually purchased this. He could just do this on his own. He could get this on his own. Why does he give money to me to buy him a gift to then bring it back? It, it seemed kind of superfluous. Why would God do that? I mean, why would my dad do that? Well, we'll talk about the relationship. That's another sermon. <laughs> Why? Well, and then I finally dawned on me. He did it because he wanted a relationship. 
And because relationships, they traffic in gifts and gratitude and gift and reciprocity. You see the cycle. God gives us grain and grapes. And, we, and he gives us animals and food and we harvest it and we make things and we take it into our bodies and it is good. It is good. And then we return thanks to him. And we have a relationship. What am I saying? I'm saying the same thing that most of you have known from your earliest days. That our primary purpose in life, that our highest purpose, that our teeth end, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. And the way that we glorify God and the way that we enjoy Him is through all the gifts that He has given, that everything He has given is to be used as a means to glorifying God and enjoying Him forever so that no matter whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. That all is a communion with Him. Thanksgiving. Eucharist. See, Eucharist, before it's about this table, it's about life. And it's the very purpose of humanity. The Eucharist is our primary purpose, but Eucharist is also our biggest problem. Because if we know gratitude is good for us, we also know how difficult it is to come by, how scarce it is in our lives. There's a story that's told in the Gospels where Jesus is traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem and he's passing through Samaria. There he enters a village and there are ten Samaritan lepers. The lepers call out to him from a great distance because being lepers they can't come close and they say, uh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And he did. He did it in a peculiar way. He said, go show yourselves to the priest. And the Bible says that as they got up and went, quote, they were cleansed. Now that's another sermon on how it's in the act, in the journey, that they're healed. But while they're on their way and they are cleansed, they look down on themselves. And, and then the Bible tells us that one of them, one of them turned around. He came back, he praised God with a loud voice, and he fell at Jesus' feet and, quote, gave him thanks. One of them. Jesus responds, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? It's a story that illustrates how scarce gratitude is. One in ten. Ninety percent of Jesus' work that day went unthanked. Nine out of ten of them had a problem with ingratitude. And the question is, is was it just them? Why did Jesus tell us the story? See, I don't think it was just them. I think it's, this story holds up what Elvis Costello once called a deep, dark, truthful mirror. Because ingratitude, it's just not the problem with the nine. It is actually 
a human problem. In the second text that was read, Paul is dealing with humanity's plight, Romans chapter 1. He talks about humanity's chief sin, the thing that they did that caused it all to fall apart. There it is, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him or give him thanks. That their lives were neither characterized by doxology or Eucharist. You see, if our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, then our chief sin is that we have failed to do so. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's just Thanksgiving before a meal. We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? You know, one of the most penetrating and devastating critiques that was ever made and lodged against Christians was made by the philosopher, the atheist philosopher, Frederick Nietzsche, in my opinion. And do you know what Nietzsche said about Christians? That they had no joy. I think that's the saddest thing that he could have said about Christians. That their lives were not characterized by Eucharist. They had no joy because they had no gratitude. And I wonder if it's true of you. See, if gratitude is so scarce, then we have to ask the question, am I a grateful person? Of course, none of us feel ungrateful. I bet the nine didn't feel ungrateful either. If you ask them, they would say, sure, I'm, I'm so thankful that, that Jesus healed me. But they just went on. You know, gratitude, it doesn't always look like taking the food and throwing it in the trash. Gratitude can simply look like not stopping, not taking time, not giving. Our gratitude can look like not stopping, not taking time, not giving thanks. It can look like a half-eaten scone in your mouth. The theologian Alexander Smeman says that, or Smeman says that it's no coincidence that the fall uh, revolves around food. And he goes on to say, he says that, that, that because the reason is, is because that all the other fruit in the garden, everything else was a window to communion with God except for that, that one piece of fruit. See, God said, every tree, every tree that I have given you, I have given for food. Every tree except one tree. Listen to what Smaman writes. The fruit of that one tree, whatever else it may signify, was unlike every other fruit in the garden. Because it was not offered as a gift to man. Not given. Not blessed by God. It was food whose eating was condemned to be a communion with itself alone. And not with God. The fruit of that tree is the image of the world, love for itself. 
And eating is the image of life understood as an end in itself. What is he saying? Well, Smaven is saying that the world was made to be a world with windows. And that everything in the world was made so that we might, through the world, commune with God. Except that tree, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they took the fruit of that tree, what they did is they entered, they chose a world without windows. A world that was closed, a world that was a transparent, a world that was not a vehicle to God. They loved the world as an end in itself and not as a means to God. They enjoyed, in Augustine's terms, the world without enjoying God. You see, Thanksgiving was given to us so that we might see through the world, but that fruit, it was not given so that we might give thanks back. It was, it was like a child who was given money to buy their parent a gift, and then instead of buying their parent a gift, they just spend it on themselves when they're out at the mall. They go to the arcade, and you come back. That's what they did. And we have been doing it ever since. We have chosen a world without windows. The world was made with windows, and we shut the blinds, and we have lived in darkness ever since. So much so that, that we don't even know anymore. We, do, we just think that's the way things are, the way they're supposed to be. We don't realize that, that eating can be a communion with God, that breathing can be a communion with God, and that this world, its food and its air, will not give us life, but only God can give us Life. We have forgotten that. We don't know that. And, and that is now the air we breathe. We've cut God out of the world. And even if we bring him in, God, we often view him as a means to the end of getting creation. I want a relationship with God because he can give me the stuff. Do you see how we flipped it? Because God, he gives us the stuff that we might have a relationship with him. And here's the irony of it all. Here's the irony. When we make secondary things like creation the primary thing, they completely lose their value. C.S. Lewis, he put it like this, the books of the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust them. Beauty was not in them, it only came through them. See, what Lewis is saying is, is, is that, well, Lewis believes in a world with windows. And he says that, that the beauty that, that you see, that, that, that you experience, and the truth and the goodness, it all actually is sourced in God. And, and it pulsates through the world, but it only comes through it. It is not in the world. And therefore, what ends up happening is that, that we, we look to these things to give us truth, to give us beauty, to give us goodness, but when we look to these things as an end in themselves, what happens is they're cut off from their source, and we never actually get what we were attracted to in the first place because the attraction is beyond them. The attraction is God. You see... Every longing we have in creation is not a longing for creation. It is a longing through creation for God. And all our hunger for food is not 
a hunger for food. It's a hunger through food that we might have God. And so what happens? What happens is that in a world without windows, we think that these things are going to satisfy us, but they don't, and so we binge. Because we don't see where the source is. We binge on relationships, we binge on food, we binge on alcohol, we binge on Netflix, we binge on social media, we binge on work, we binge and binge and binge, and what happens at the end of it? We're still left unsatisfied. Because the things were never supposed to satisfy us. They were only supposed to lead us toward that which was to satisfy us. And so we're left with, with happiness that's elusive and hands that are filled with medication. And we medicate ourselves in so many ways because we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied because we don't look for God. You see, I, I thought that the reason that I failed to give thanks was because I was transported but in reality, the very fact that I failed to give thanks in eating that scone means that I was not transported. That I stayed terrestrial. And that I never saw through the window. And in that world, you were cut off from the source of all life and every communion is simply a communion with death why we died. So here's the question. How can we re-enter a world with windows? How can we be reconnected to the source of life? Well, I want you to consider this, that Jesus, the Gospels, tells us that he ate all the time. He was always eating, so much that they called him a drunkard and a glutton. And at several of these meals, where uh, we, it's reported that, that especially the meals where he was a host, that, that he was always giving thanks for the food. That, that when he fed the 4,000, he gave thanks. And when he fed the 5,000, he gave thanks. And when he celebrated a feast with his disciples, the Passover feast, which we know as the Lord's Supper, he gave thanks not once, but twice. Luke twenty-two seventeen, 17, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. In verse 19, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, why all this thanksgiving? Is this just a perfunctory ritual that Jesus is doing as a good Jew? Well, I don't think so. Because when Satan tempted him with food that was not given, that was not blessed to be a communion with God, you know what Jesus said in response? Man does not live by bread alone. See, why does Jesus give thanks? Because Jesus knew that life is to be a communion with God. And Jesus, he is the true human. 
In fact, in Psalm 104, verses 15 and 16, Psalm 104 is this glorious psalm that goes through the days of creation, and it's a psalm of thanksgiving. And then it gets to the sixth day, humanity. And you know how it gives thanks? It says this, verses 15 and 16, it gives thanks to God who gives bread to strengthen man's heart and wine to gladden it. Bread to strengthen man's heart, bread for sustenance, and wine for enjoyment, for luxury, and he gives thanks. That is the point of human in the of a human in the universe. That's the way we were all supposed to be: to take bread and to take wine and to give God thanks. And do you think it's any coincidence that Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and he took wine and he gave God thanks? He was he was restoring humans to Eucharist to the place of thanksgiving before God. Because he knew that man does not live by bread alone. That humans only live through communion, through relationship with God. He was restoring us to the place of gratitude. How? Well, just consider what he gives thanks well, actually, consider this, that he doesn't just show us what it looks like for a human to be grateful. He, he actually invites us into it. He didn't just do it. He then said, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Take bread, take wine, eat it, eat it with thanksgiving in your hearts. He's restoring the gratitude to us and, and consider what he gave thanks for. This is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he gave thanks. He gave thanks that he might give himself for you. That he might sacrifice himself for you. He entered into a world without windows of darkness cut off from life. Life itself was cut off from life so that you and I might be brought back into a world with windows so that we might reconnect with the source of all life, with God himself. He, he was cut off. He was cut off that we might be brought in and brought back to the table, brought back to that place of thanksgiving. He gave it all for us. Why did you give so much? Why did you risk it all poured out on poor misers when the returns are so small? Oh, these strange economics and the length that love goes. Oh, my blistered soul. And God gives all the creation and we reject it in ingratitude. And what does he do? He gives more. He gives himself. He gives it all. His blood poured out for us. His body given for us. Love so amazing, love so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, the only response to that is thanksgiving. It's gratitude. It's Eucharist. Jesus died to make us grateful. And so we come to this table and we read Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, is the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation 
in the blood of Christ. You want to guess what that word bless is in Greek? The cup of blessing, the cup of Eucharist, the cup of Eucharist that we Eucharist, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? You see, he restores communion by restoring Eucharist. The only way that this table is a table of communion with God is if it's a table of thanksgiving, a table of Eucharist. That's what it is all about. And so, why do we give thanks before meals? And why do we give thanks before this meal? Why do we call the prayer before this meal the great thanksgiving? Because that's what makes the meal a communion with God. Thanksgiving. And it is there in thanksgiving that we receive eternal life. You know, the gift and reciprocity relationship that would happen with my parents would always kind of confuse me because I was given money from my parents and then I would usually get a gift. The gifts that I usually got for my parents, I don't know about you, but the gifts I usually got were things that I really liked. And anybody like that? And so, um, so uh, my dad had like every version of Madden right? The, the PlayStation game? Because I knew he really wanted Madden, so I got him Madden every year. The new Madden would come out, and with his money, I would get him Madden. He would open up the, the gift of Madden, and then, and then what would he do? Well, well, then he would go back in his room, and he would just play it for hours by himself and lock the door. No. <laughs> no. He said, set it up. Let's play. And at that point, as we were playing, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, who's giving and who is receiving? He gave money to me, but I gave, that I bought a gift with, Madden to him, but then he invited me to share his game. It was his game with him, and then we're playing together, and so where does, where does, his gift end, and my gift begin, and my gift end, and his gift begin. Where does it all come? It's, it's like the only thing, I, I don't know, I can't separate it out. It's like the circle of reciprocity gets, gets so tight that I, the only thing I know is that we're relating to one another, and it's joy, and I'm thankful. God gives us his creation, wheat and grain, grapes, and we make bread out of it, and we make wine, and it tastes really good. And we do that as an offering to God, and we bring it before God, and we say, here, here's, here's a meal for you, God. Here's a, a gift in return for the gift that you have given us. We want to give you this gift, and with this, we give ourselves out of gratitude for you. But then God says, oh, thank you for the bread, and thank you for the wine, I would like you to eat it with me. And I've given myself to make that possible. And so then we come to the table and we eat with him. And, and so then we're wondering, where does his gift, where does his gift begin? And where does 
his gift in? And where does our gift begin? And where does our gift end? And, and where is it? It's like the, it's like the, at the table, it's, it, 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 is the bread and wine, is it, is it his? I mean, they're the gifts of God for the people of God. Are, is the gift that we get to give thanksgiving? Is the gift that we give him bread and wine? What is the gift? And, and, and who is receiving? And who? It's like we're all one. And the only thing that's left is thanksgiving. Enjoy. Exactly. That's what the table's about. And that's what life's about because, you know, one day, someday, Jesus isn't just going to put a window in this world. We're going to have a glass ceiling and a glass floor. And the world will be chock full of the presence of God and God will be all in all. And the only thing we will experience all the time and everywhere is joy and gratitude. Until then, we give thanks and we come to this table. Amen.